The last Sunday of the church year is, or has been for the last hundred years or so, called either Reign of Christ Sunday or Christ the King Sunday. It was instituted uh, by the Catholic Church and other churches have joined into it. It was the idea that the church seemed to be losing its place in culture. It's supposed to be what everybody looked up to and listened to. And it wasn't. And it isn't. So if we institute a service called Christ the King Sunday, we could remind everyone that Christ is the King and you ought to do as you're told. That Christ is reigning and you should knuckle under. I'm not sure it was exactly put in those terms, but that was the hope. And in fact, the reading that we've gotten from Matthew seems to indicate the same sort of thing. That um, that's the kind of world we're in and should be in. That Christ is in charge and those who do the right thing do the right thing. And those who don't. Eternal punishment. It seems like a morality tale, doesn't it? There are sheep and there are goats, and if you act like a sheep, everything will be fine. If you act like a goat, you're in trouble. Except that the story doesn't really pan out very well. First of all, everything that happens in this story that's important has already happened. It's like a wrapping up. It's just telling us what has already occurred. What's done has been done, and now we're just looking at what the consequences are. No one is told in this tale to shape up. No one has the opportunity to reform themselves. What's done is done. It's all in the past. When was it that we saw you? It's a, that's the past tense. And even the idea of sheep and goats is sort of in the past. A sheep is just a sheep and can't be anything else. A goat is a goat. It's in their DNA. Even when Jesus says the kingdom, the, the king says that the kingdom has been pre prepared for you from the foundation of the world, it's all been done. It's all in the past. It's too late to change anything. Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. Even that isn't much of a morality tale because how do you inherit something? Well, first of all, you get born into a family where there's something to inherit and then you don't die before the person you're inheriting from. It's pretty simple but it's not like you can do about it. It's not as if you can put yourself in that place. Inheritance is just something that happens. So what other ways can we read this story? So who inherits the true world, if you like? You could describe the kingdom of God as the true world of God, the way God intends the world to be. When we, as we will in a little while, pray the Lord's Prayer, we will pray, we want the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. What we mean by that is we want the world to be the way God intended it to be. Which in one metaphor was a garden where we could wander in the cool of the evening and talk to God. It's not a bad way of thinking about the world. So who inherits 
this way of being in the world? Well, human beings. Because human beings are those who are concerned with food and drink and shelter. When you look at the things that the story says you've done or not done, seeing someone hungry and feeding them, seeing someone thirsty and giving them a drink, seeing someone naked and giving them clothes, it's basically sustenance and community. The two things that we require in order to be alive and fully human. They're the most essential and basic elements. If we don't feed each other, and if we don't build some semblance of community where we recognise each other and give each other some sense of care, we won't, literally won't survive. It's exactly how we arrive in the world. Vulnerable, naked and a stranger. The world is strange to us when we arrive and if we're not sustained, <clears throat> immediately we come out of the womb, we die. It's that basic, it's that elemental. So this is not a story about being a good moral person or being a good religious person. In fact, there's nothing in this story at all about the things you should believe. We're very keen on creeds and doctrine. And in fact, we divide ourselves up by the things we believe it's okay to do or not do or say or not say. We've tortured each other in times past because people have said the wrong things about the Holy Spirit or about who Jesus was or about who's allowed to have sex with who. And we split all the time. But there's nothing in this story about that at all. It's about the most elemental things, about the things that you, without these things, you will not survive as a human being. We will not live. It's what we must do to survive. It's what we must do to live. So there is a difference though, isn't there? Because there are some people who say, when did we see you? When did we experience God in the world? All we've been doing is the normal human things. But isn't the normal human things what God calls us to do? When Jesus is at the very end of his life, what is the one thing he wants his disciples to do when he's gone? The thing they're going to have to do anyway, eat and drink. And then he says, every time you eat and drink, which you're going to have to do, remember me. And he tells them to do it together. Where two or three of you are gathered together, that's human community. And you do that, you eat and drink, and that's what human beings do. So imagine the other side, the goats. What is it they're actually doing? They're not feeding in themselves or anyone else, so they're starving to death. They're not sheltering each other. They're not making community because they're doing none of these things. So how is it they actually spend their time? What, is, what does life consist of? Often makes me think of films like The Wolf of Wall Street which was a terrible indictment in the 1990s of the greed is good world, where the most important thing was to make money off other people making money off, making money off, not actually making real things. 
It's a false world. It's a lie of a world. Just like last week, we looked at a slave owner who refused to acknowledge the truth of the world, that the only things that grow are the, things, are the seeds that you plant in the ground. That's the only thing that flourishes in human life. So the text says, You that are accursed, depart from me into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, I reckon it's interesting that, where did the devil and the angels come from? It, it, they've not appeared in this text before. I think they appear here because... They stand in, in the Bible, all the time for the counterfeit world, for the world that is not real, for the world that doesn't have any substance to it, for the world that isn't about feeding and drinking and providing human community. And you can read the idea of being accursed. The other way of translating it is as doomed. <coughs> You get the sense that whoever these goats are, they have doomed themselves. They have so chosen to exist that they won't be in human community, they won't feed, they won't provide drink. They live a kind of ghost-like existence. So convinced, so convinced are they that this counterfeit world is real that they never engage with other people. They're never involved. They're never known. And they don't know other people. They've convinced themselves that this is real. In a sense, they've doomed themselves. Christmas is coming. This may be good news to you, or it may not be. It will depend on what Christmas is going to be like for you. For some of us, it will be full of joy. For others, it will be full of loneliness. For some of us, it will be full of meaning. For some of us, it will just be a very strange story that we tell that's mixed up with a baby and a Father Christmas and tinsel and, and it won't make any real sense. But underneath it all is always going to be a story of real humanity. Why does the Christian church insist on talking about a baby? Everyone was a baby. It's no big deal. The only reason you're alive is because somebody cared for you when you were born. Being born is not a very big deal. Why do we make such a big deal about it? Because, in fact, it is a big deal. It's the human miracle. It's the fact that we come alive in the world. And that we're being invited in this story to come alive not only in that moment of our birth, but in every moment to feed each other to give each other sustenance, to make each other one community. That's what the story is calling us to. And yeah, there is another side to it. And you might know it because some of us have lived it some of the time. We have lived as if no one else existed. We have lived as if we're the only one. And we have been lonely and despairing. And it's a horrible place to be. And it's an unlivable place to be. If you've had the misfortune of suffering from depression, you'll know that experience of being somewhat set back from the rest of the world. The rest of the world is acting, but you feel like you're behind a piece of plate glass. You're not really engaged, you're not, and you don't know how to connect. And sometimes therapy, sometimes medicine, some of those things can help us 
to break through that wall and reconnect because we know that's what makes us alive. That's what makes us human. That's what invites us to inherit what has always been ours, the world as God wants it to be. How do you inherit it? We said that. Just be alive. Put your hand just there, check. Yep, that's me, I'm alive. That's how we get it. That's how we inherit it. So next week, Advent. The season of expectant waiting for goodness to come into the world, as it does at Christmas and at every moment. But that's next week. That's, amen.